Welcome to week number eight of our summer series, Proverbs Wisdom. Uh, it's hard to believe that we're eight weeks in and the summer is, you know, it's moving along. I don't want to say it's towards its end, but it's moving along. Today we're applying a very popular question that we find in culture today to our discussion on wisdom and the book of Proverbs. It's this question right here. What is the bottom line? Have you ever asked that question or heard that question be said? What is the bottom line? The bottom line often means different things for, to different people. For example, in the spring of 1999, David Phillips saw an offer from the Health Cho- Choice Food Company in the U.S., and the company had a promotion where they would give 500 air miles for every barcode a customer sent into the company. And if you did it before May 31st, 1999, they would give you 1,000 air miles. And so what was the bottom line for David Phillips? Well, the bottom line for David Phillips is that he wanted to take his family on a cheap vacation to Europe. So Phillips secured discount grocery stores for the least, or scoured, excuse me, uh, discount grocery stores for the least expensive health choice food products he could find. And guess what it turned out to be? Chocolate pudding. Chocolate pudding was the thing that he could put his hands on. So Phillips, an engineer by trade, did some quick calculations and started buying up all the chocolate pudding he could find. He cleaned out every discount grocery store in his town and it ended up by, he ended up buying 12,500 cups of pudding. Remarkable. It's a lot of work. Faced with the daunting task of lifting the lids off of every chocolate pudding so he could have the barcode to send into the company for the 1,000 air miles before May 31st, he quickly began to realize, with his help of his family, that this was an impossible task. So David came up with a creative solution. Donate the pudding to the Salvation Army, where the army volunteers would remove the and return the lids to himself, and they would take the chocolate pudding or whatever kind of pudding it was and feed it to the food kitchen, those individuals who would come in for the food kitchen, and that would be part of their meal. And the icing on the cake was he received an income tax receipt for all of that. When it was all said and done, Phillips earned more than 1.2 million frequent flyer air miles on an investment of $3,140. Imagine, I wish I had known all of that at that time, but uh, it wasn't available in Canada. Dave received enough miles to take his family on a European vacation, not once, but 30 times. They went to England. And then they went to Sweden, and then they went to Switzerland, and they went to France. They went to Europe 30 times on his initial investment on chocolate pudding of $3,140. And because he topped the one million mile mark, he became a member of American Airlines A Advantage Gold Club for life. What was the bottom line? To tell you all that story, what was the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is, is that Dave wanted to what? He wanted to take his family on a cheap vacation, and he came up with this plan. When we apply the bottom line question to our series, we discover there are two important questions that we need to ask ourselves this morning. What is the bottom line for the book of Proverbs, and what is the bottom line when it comes to wisdom? Those are the two bottom line questions that we'll be investigating this morning. What is the bottom line when it comes to the book of Proverbs, and what is the bottom line when it comes to wisdom? They are great questions. Especially when we ask the question, what is the bottom line for the book of Proverbs? Because there are many bottom lines 
when it comes to the book of Proverbs. We see, we've seen already that we're supposed to be generous and not be a Scrooge. We've already discovered that we're to love and not to hate. We're to pursue righteousness and avoid unrighteousness and evil. We're to be wise and stop making stupid decisions. That's another bottom line that we've discovered from the book of Proverbs. So why does the bottom line even matter when it comes to wisdom, when it comes to the book of Proverbs? There are four reasons why that, there are four reasons why that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, the bottom line wisdom that we're talking about in the book of Proverbs provides clarity. It provides clarity. It offers a perspective, a clarity as a measuring stick to better process and handle the decisions that we have in life, ensuring that everything that we do contributes to the mission, contributes to the big picture. No one was wiser or had more clarity in the Bible than a guy by the name of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, he did a lot of things. There were a lot of bottom lines. But the most important bottom line for the life, from the life of Jesus is that he brought hope and life and healing and restoration to those individuals who were not well physically, spiritually, and emotionally. What's the bottom line for our life? That's a question that we should ask ourselves this morning. What's the bottom line for my life? What's the bottom line for your life this morning? Well, we are called, the bottom line is, is that we are all called to be redeemed. And in that redemption, we are to proclaim the hope of the Redeemer. Every one of us. Some of us listen to the calling. Some of us don't listen to the calling. Some of us ignore the calling in our life. But Jesus is calling all of us to a life of redemption. And when He redeems us, He wants us to share the message of the redemption of the Redeemer to those who are around us. But we cannot be redeemed, and we cannot proclaim the hope of our Redeemer unless Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. That's the key. If He is not the Lord of our life, then we cannot experience redemption. And if we can't experience redemption, then we certainly can't proclaim the message of the Redeemer to others. Watchman Nee gives this clarity on this, on this topic. He said, Revelation is the first step to holiness, and consecration is the second a day must come in our lives as definite as the day of our conversion. He goes on to say this, when we give up all right to ourselves and submit, say this with me, church, and submit to the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ. The bottom line wisdom that we're talking about from the book of Proverbs and a little later the book of chapter 16 provides clarity that Jesus must become the Lord of our life that He is the Redeemer, and once He redeems us, we are to proclaim the message of redemption to others that the Redeemer has shown to us. Second bottom line wisdom from the book of Proverbs that will help us is that it helps evaluate life. It, it helps answer the why question. Many of us have why life, like why am I in this position? Why am I going through this? It, it answers the what question. What's going on? And like, what's happening? And it answers the how question. How is this possible? How am I going to get through this? When we have the wisdom that's spoken about in the book of Proverbs active in our life, it helps us with those three things. The why, the what, and the how. It gives us direction. And it is also wisdom given to us by God that when we are going the wrong direction of life, that this wisdom helps correct our path so that we get on the right path again, so that we're doing the right thing we are contributing to the mission and to the plan of God. 
There's an old story that's been around the church for a long time. Maybe you've heard me tell it a time or two. But well before the age of technology, ships used to communicate by light in Morse code. And this battleship was out on a very, very stormy night when it received the message from an oncoming ship it perceived that said, change your course of direction 15 degrees, we're on a collision course. And the battleship replied in Morse code by light, you change your course of direction 15 degrees, um, uh, end of story. And so back came the message, no, you change your degree uh, change your direction by 15 degrees because we're on a collision course. Well, the captain of the battleship was a little huffy at this time, and hot under the collar, and he said, tell them that we are a battleship, a mighty battleship, and they better change their course of direction by 15 degrees. Back came the reply, so be it, it's your choice, but we would advise you to change your course of direction by 15 degrees because I'm a lighthouse. So in that moment of evaluation, there was some correction that took place and the captain conceded and changed his course of direction so that they didn't ground the mighty battleship on the rocks. You see, the wisdom that comes to us from the book of Proverbs helps us evaluate life. It keeps us on the straight and narrow. And when we're not on the straight and narrow, it helps correct our life so that we change our course of direction so we're doing what God wants us to do. Third bottom line wisdom that comes from the book of Proverbs, it helps us make the best decisions for our life. The Bible is filled with examples of individuals who lacked bottom line wisdom. Who lacked it? Adam and Eve. In that moment when they, for, when they took from the, the tree that they were not supposed to take from, they knew they weren't supposed to take from that tree, but they did. They lacked, in my estimation, they lacked bottom line wisdom because they disobeyed God. Noah, after the flood, in his drunken state, did some things that he shouldn't have done. Why? Because he lacked some bottom line wisdom in his life. We see that David, looking out over the rooftop, saw Bathsheba, and then this whole plan kind of unfolded. And we see that David lacked some very fundamental bottom line wisdom in his life in that moment of time. In fact, his leadership was never the same after that. We see that Peter, in the shadow of the cross, before Jesus is nailed to the cross, before the rooster crows three times, Peter does what? He denies Christ. How many times? I'm holding up the fingers to help you out this morning. Three times. He lacked bottom line wisdom in that moment. In order to make the best decisions in our life, we need God's bottom line wisdom at work in us. Fourth, the bottom line wisdom that help, helps guarantee the future Success for tomorrow rests on the wisdom of today. Let me just, I'm not sharing anything new with you this morning, but if you make stupid decisions today, you can be sure that tomorrow, next week, next year, you're going to reap the not so fun benefits from the stupid decisions that you made today. But if you make wise decisions today, you can expect what? You reap what you sow. You can expect tomorrow, next week, next year, sometime in the future that you're going to reap the benefits of making wise decisions in your life. If you choose to follow Jesus today, you're going to reap the benefits in the future. Amen? If you choose not to follow Jesus today, you're going to reap those benefits, which are not really benefits, in the future. So what we do today in wisdom or lack of wisdom affects us for the future. The biggest and the greatest bottom line, though, from Proverbs 16 is in the form of a question. Are you ready for it? It's right here. Who is the Lord of my life? That's the question that Solomon 
asks in chapter 16. That's the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. Who is the Lord of my life? It is a question that has been embraced, it has been ignored, and it has been, manip- been manipulated Excuse me, from the beginning of time. Some of us this morning and watching online, we would forcefully say, no one but myself is the Lord of my life. There are only three people that occupy my space. That's me, myself, and I, and no one else. And we boldly declare that. Others of us may not declare this, but we certainly live it. Work is the Lord of our life. And then there are a few of us in this room, hopefully all of us, and watching online this morning, that we would declare, God, Jesus, is what? The Lord of my life. We even sing songs in church. You know that, right? You weren't sleeping when we were doing worship this morning by song. We sing songs in church about God being the Lord of our life. A.W. Tozer made this observation about the church when he said, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not quite forgotten among Christians. He goes on to say, but it has been relegated to the hymnal where all responsibility toward it may be comfortably discharged in a glow of religious emotion. Then he says, or if it is taught as the theory in the classroom, it is rarely applied to practical living. The idea that the man... Christ Jesus has absolute final authority over the whole church and over its members and every detail of their lives is simply, here it is, not now accepted as true by the rank and file of evangelical Christians. It's a sobering statement. And it was one that was shared decades ago. And if not, it's probably more true today than when A.W. Tozer actually said it. What was he saying? Let me paraphrase for you a little bit this morning and make it hit home, give you the bottom line. In other words, we close our eyes and we lift our arms and hands in the air and we sway back and forth with emotion. Maybe even a tear will trickle down our cheek while we're singing a song declaring that Jesus is Lord. Are you tracking with me this morning? There is nothing wrong with this. What's wrong with this is that as soon as the song is over and our arms go down and our eyes open up, Jesus is somehow no longer the Lord of our life. He is only the Lord of our life in that moment when we sing the song. But when the song is over, He is no longer the Lord of our life. We live one way and we sing and worship another. The two are very different declarations and must be corrected within the church today. Perhaps the way that we could correct it is that the church would adjust some of the song titles and some of the content of the songs. For example, instead of singing I Surrender All, we could sing I Surrender Some. Or Oh How I Love Jesus, we could sing Oh How I Like Jesus. Sometimes. Give Me Jesus could be rewritten to say Give Me Some of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. Take my life and let it be. We could say, take my life and let me be. Look what you've done, God. Could be rewritten to say, look what I've done, God. I belong to Jesus. Could be said, I sometimes belong to Jesus. I believe, which is a very popular worship song today, could be rephrased, I believe sometimes. Of course, I'm joking this morning. You do know that. Though there are thoughts in my mind from time to time, it would probably be easier to adjust the songs and the titles and the content of those songs than to ask people to actually change their lives. You tracking with me? It's far harder to to change our life 
than it is to change a song title. But I would much rather not change the song titles. I would much rather you be changed by the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life. That He becomes the Lord of your life. So of course I'm joking about altering the language of our songs in church, but I am dead serious about changing our conduct to match the lips that we declare Jesus is Lord, but we do not live as Jesus is Lord. Let me offer you some bottom line wisdom this morning. We don't need to make Jesus Lord. We don't. Because Jesus is already Lord. He's already Lord of creation. He's already Lord of this universe. He's already Lord of this church, this community, this country, this world. He's already Lord. We just need to declare it. And more importantly, we just need to live it in our life. Adrian Rogers made this observation, you don't make Him Lord. He's already Lord. Or He's Lord already. You just need, or you just uh, recognize it. Jesus is already Lord. The question this morning is not, is He Lord? Because He is Lord. Amen? The question is, will we recognize that He is Lord and will we live it out in our life? That's precisely what Solomon was writing about in Proverbs chapter 16. He was writing to his young son. He was expressing this to his son as he's passing on this knowledge. He was writing saying, you need to recognize that God must become the Lord of your life. That's the bottom line. That's exactly what we find as we begin to look at Proverbs 16, 1-9. Here's what Solomon writes. We can make our own plans, but say this with me, church. The Lord gives the right answer. In verse 2, people may be pure in their own eyes, but say this with me, church. The Lord examines their motives. In verse 3, commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. In verse 4, the Lord has made everything for His own purpose, even the wicked for a day of disaster. And then in verse 5, the Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. And then in the next verse, unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. By fearing the Lord, people avoid evil. Then in verse 7, when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. And verse 8, better to have little with godliness than to be rich with dishonest. That would preach all day long, but we don't have time for it. In verse 9, we can make our plan. Say this with me, church. But the Lord determines our steps. The Lord determines our steps. I don't know if you've noticed this as we're reading through those nine verses, but in nine verses, Solomon pays tribute to the Lordship of God eight times. Eight times he says, the Lord, or Lord. Meaning, not is He not just God, He is Lord of creation. He is Lord of everything. It is a clear reminder of the authority of God over all things, including ourselves and all of creation. It was a well-known teaching to Solomon. This was not a new revelation because he had heard this teaching from his father, King David, who had preceded King Solomon. And on many occasions, Solomon had heard David teaching and preaching and writing that God needs to be the Lord of your life. We see it in Psalm chapter 24 where King David is writing here in verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all its people belong to who? To God. Let's, see it, let's read it again. Let's just go back to verse 1. Say it, read it with me, church. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world and all its people belong to Him. Then he goes on to say this 
For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. God is the creator of all things. God is the creator of you this morning. And he is the creator of me. In the first nine verses of Proverbs 16, we discover wisdom settles the lordship issue by offering to us, let's just go back and review for a moment, clarity, life evaluation, good decisions, and a bright future. Solomon discusses there are several bottom line places in our life that God must become Lord. And I want to share them with you this morning. First, he shows us that God must be the Lord of our words. That God must be the Lord of words. Our words. And verse 1 is not intended to minimize the importance of planning because there's an age-old statement that goes, failing to plan is planning to what? You've heard it before, it's planning to fail. And I'm a firm believer that we need to make plans. We need to, we need to plan out things in our life. Solomon was not slamming planning. He was, he was not saying stop planning in your life. He was, however, emphasizing God's lordship and sovereignty over our words and our life. There's a real problem in this world today. There are far too many of us that are choosing to destroy people by using our words rather than God's words. If we only use God's words, if we only put our words under the lordship of Jesus Christ, what would happen in our relationships instead of us using our words all the time? What if we use God's words? Wouldn't there be hope and encouragement and love? Wouldn't there be some restoration and reconciliation take place? We fail to allow God to be the Lord of our words. Solomon knew what he was talking about when he scribed in verse 1, let's go back and review, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right, what church? Answer, He gives the right word is what that word means. He gives the right word. If we jump back to 1 Kings chapter 3, there's a powerful story from Solomon's life without a doubt that contributed to the writing of Proverbs chapter 16. So Solomon had some experience as he was writing 16, chapter 16. And in 1 Kings 3, Solomon has a dream, and God tells Solomon in this dream, ask me for anything. Now imagine this afternoon you go home and you have a siesta or you're having a good sleep tonight and God appears to you in your dream and He says to you, ask me for anything. What would you ask Him for? I dare say the answers would be broad in this room and those who are watching online this morning, I'm sure that some of us would ask, you know what God, my bank account is just like almost zero. For some it may even be running in the deficit overdraft. God, if, if you could just put a million, just, just direct deposit a million to my account, everything would be good then, God. I'm sure some of us would say that if God said to us, ask me anything. Okay, God, here it is. I, I know it's a lot, but a million, right? Right in my bank account. Some of us have been lonely and we've gone through broken relationships. So at the top of our list, we would say, God, I want that special someone in my life because I've just had a terrible time with relationships. 
Others of us would, be say, would say, I'm sick and tired of my job. I've been doing it for so long. I don't want to do it anymore. God, I want this job. This would be the perfect job. What would you ask for if God said, ask me for anything? Solomon, he asked, God said, ask me for anything. And his response is fascinating. We're going to start at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. And work our way through a few verses here. Now, O Lord my God, so God has already said, ask me for anything in this dream. You have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. So, so Solomon is saying, I'm like a little kid here, God. You've given me the candy factory, and I don't even know how to operate this thing. I don't even know how to turn the levers on. I don't know how to push the buttons. I, I'm lost, God, and I need your help. And This is what he says. Say it with me, church. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. Ask me for anything, God says. And Solomon says, give me an understanding heart and give me the ability and wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong. Honest now, honest, honest, honest. How many of you would have said that to God? Give me a discerning heart, God, and help me to know between right and wrong. Goes on, for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And then we see in verse 9, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for what church? He had asked for wisdom. And then we go to verse 12, I will give you what you asked for. So God is saying, I'm going to give you wisdom because you asked for it. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And then in verse 13, and I will also give you what you did not ask for. Notice that, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And then we find in verse 16, sometime later, after the dream, after the ask me anything, and he says to God, give me discernment of heart, a discerning heart, and give me the ability to know between right and wrong. And God was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So sometime after he had asked for wisdom, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Then in verse 17, please, my Lord, one of them began, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. And then in verse 18, three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. So unfortunate. Verse 20, then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. Then in verse 21, And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. In verse 22, Then the other woman interrupted, It certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. The latter part of verse 22, No, the first woman said, The living child is mine, and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth before the king. We're just going to stop here for a second. They were arguing back and forth before the king. Now I want you right now, you, I'm, I'm, I'm knighting you, you are King Solomon for a second. 
and you have these two ladies in front of you. One has a living child. One has a dead child because she rolled over it on it in the night. And they're going back and forth, arguing in front of you. I want to tell you, I'm King Solomon. I'm going, stop it. Usher these two women out of my courtyard. I never want to see them again. Don't you know that I am the King of Israel and I can't be bothered with your petty little differences and your arguing and bickering and going on and on and on. It's my kid. No, it's my child. It's blah, 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 blah. I've had enough. I'm the King. and This is beneath me. Though if I was King Solomon, I probably wouldn't say that. But I'm done. But what does King Solomon do? Because he had prayed or asked God in a dream, ask me for anything. And Solomon said, what? Come on, we've been talking about a church. Give me a discerning heart and give me the ability, the wisdom to know between right and wrong. I'm some glad the Old Testament doesn't have my name as King Solomon because it would have been completely different. Because Solomon had asked for it, here's what happened. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. Verse 24, all right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Verse 25, then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much, cried out, Oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. In verse 27, Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants 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 him to live, for she is the mother. Look at verse 28. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, Say this with me, church. Read it. For they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. They saw how God had given him wisdom. If God is part of our plans, then he must be the Lord of our life, or the Lord of our words. And if he is the Lord of our words, then he must be the Lord of our life. And if God is not the Lord of our life, then He can't be the Lord of our words. And if He's not the Lord of our words, then He can't be the Lord of our plans. Do you, are you tracking with me this morning? If He is to be the Lord of our plans, then He has to be the Lord of our words, and He has to be the Lord of our life. We can make all the plans that we want in this life. Go ahead, make them. But unless the Lord gives the right word and the right answer, our plans are doomed to fail. They will not succeed. Oh, you may have a little success, but you will not succeed like God wants you to succeed when He gives you a word. When He gives you wisdom. Solomon knew this, and that's why he asked God for an understanding heart and wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong. He knew he was doomed if he had to rely on his own wisdom. So God, give me a discerning heart and give me your wisdom to know what's right and what's wrong. God is to be the Lord of our words, then we must pray for an understanding heart. Amen? To know the difference between right and wrong. To know how to divinely and heavenly respond to life's problems and challenges that come our way. But how many of us, honestly, 
pray like Solomon did. How many times have you in your prayers said, Lord, give me a discerning heart. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what's right or wrong. No, most of our prayers is, God, I've already got to figure it out. I just need you to do it. Right? This is how it should go down, God. I've evaluated it. This is the right decision. You just just go ahead and do it, God. Here's what Solomon discovered when he put God as the center of his life. He discovered this, that if God is the center of my life, the circumference will take care of itself. The rest of life will take care of itself. If God is the center of my life, if He's the center of my words, He's the center of my plan, He's the center of my life, He's the center of everything, He's the center, then everything else will take care of itself because God is in control. Amen? We see it in 1 Kings. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. And this is what's happened in verse 13 of 1 Kings chapter 3. And I will also give you what you did not ask for. I'm going to give you wisdom, Solomon. You're going to be the wisest guy in the history of humanity. And he has that title. But besides giving you wisdom, I'm going to give you the things you didn't ask for. The circumference stuff that you didn't ask for, that you were not worried about, I've got it all under control, Solomon, because you've made me the Lord of your life. No other king in the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. If God is the center of our life, everything else will take care of itself. Amen? And yet what we try to do is to take care of everything else and not make God the center of our life. But if we make God the center of our life, everything else takes care of itself. If God is the Lord of our words, there will be more relational healing and reconciliation in our life and less destruction and hatred and division. Because why? The Lord is the word, uh, the Lord is the word, uh, the Lord is the word, the Lord is the Lord of our words. Here's the bottom line this morning. Are we willing to position God as the Lord of our life? And are we willing to give God the permission to be the Lord of our life? Maybe I've got the questions backwards. Maybe it should be permission, and then it should be um, position. But regardless, you need both. Are you willing to give God the permission to be the Lord of your life? And are you willing to let God have the position of being the Lord of your life? We also see in Proverbs 16 is God must not only be the Lord of our words, but God must be the Lord of our plans. In verse 3 of, of Proverbs chapter 16, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Solomon did just that, leading Israel to one of it to its most influential days in the history of Israel. If you study Israel's history, the most influential days that they had in their history were the days when Solomon was their king. They built a temple. They built palaces. They had economical wealth. They had political power. They had social influence. During that time when King Solomon was their king was their best days. 
Sometimes we verbally commit our plans or actions to Jesus, but we fail to live it out. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? He said, many will say to me on that day, on judgment day, Lord, did we not speak in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this and did we not do that? And Jesus, will, Jesus says, and I will say to them, get away from me. I never knew you. What does all that mean? It means this, that those people did some wonderful and great things in the name of Jesus. But Jesus was not the Lord of their life. Because if Jesus was the Lord of their life, Jesus would never have said to them, get away from me. We can say a lot of things, good things, in the name of Jesus. We can do a lot of good things in the name of Jesus. But it only matters this morning if Jesus is the Lord of our life. On that day, will we hear, well done, good and faithful servants, or will we hear, get away from me, I didn't know you. Make sure Jesus is the Lord of your life. Finally, we see in Proverbs 16, not only this God must be the Lord of our, of our words and not only the Lord of our plans, but God must be the Lord of our steps. God makes plans, we make plans, God anoints those plans, but steps mean action. Plans have to be acted out. And so once our plans are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it needs steps, it needs action. We discover that in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Uh, we can make our plans, but say this with me, church, but the Lord determines our steps. Jesus has the final say where we step, where we walk. We can make plans, but they are really not our plans. They're God's plans because He determines our steps and our direction. So the bottom line wisdom that we need to extract from Proverbs 16 and from the book of Proverbs is this, that we need to let Jesus be the Lord of our words, of our plans, and of our steps. Amen, church? In February 1988, God spoke to me at a youth rally in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It was a powerful and very moving moment in my life as a young boy and a follower of Jesus. I had been running from God a little bit because I knew that He was calling me to a specific task and I didn't want to do that specific task. But in that service, on that day at a youth rally, God spoke to me. I don't know if you've ever had the, the, the blessing of hearing God speak to you. It wasn't an audible voice, one that I could record to play back later, but it was one within my spirit that I played back many times. It was God speaking to me. It is a blessing, it is a privilege, it is a highlight when God speaks to you. And this is what he said to me. Are you going to make me the Lord of your words, the Lord of your plans, and the Lord of your steps? It's heavy. I knew what he was asking. He was asking for me to totally surrender my life to him to leave my desires and my passions and my plans behind growing up on a little farm to pursuing ministry for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
the best moment of Solomon's life, and this is just my interpretation this morning, but the best moment of Solomon's life was when he asked God for a discerning heart and wisdom to know right from wrong. Absolutely best moment of his life. And he had a lot of accomplishments. But that to me is the best moment. The best moment of my life, and I've had a lot of great moments and continue to have a lot of great moments. And this is not to say my wife is less than, but the best moment in my life was that moment when I gave Jesus the permission and the position to be the Lord of my life. Best moment the best moment in your life and I'm sure you've had a lot of good moments a lot of moments that you could put a, a little sticker on and go this was the best maybe you've been blessed with a spouse or blessed with children or grandchildren or blessed with a good job or blessed with a nice home or blessed with in some way and you go this was the best this was the best but the best it was when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and let him have the permission to be the Lord of your life and give him the position to be the Lord of your life with your words, with your plans, and with your steps. It's the best. Let me pray for us this morning. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes this morning? I need to ask you a question. Maybe I've struck a chord with you this morning in your heart and you've goes, you're saying, thinking, Pastor, like, Jesus is not the Lord of my words and He's not the Lord of my plans and He's not the Lord of my steps. So sometimes He is and sometimes He's not. But today, I want, I want a declaration. I want to say Jesus is the Lord of my words, of my plans, and of my steps. And if that's you this morning, you just slip your hand up and I'd, we'd love to pray, as a staff, love to pray with you this week that Jesus would become the Lord of your life. Thank you this morning. Thank you. If you're watching online this morning, there's a text number. We'd love for you to text that number and say, pray for me this week. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Father God, we thank you for the example that we find in Scripture this morning through Solomon. What a wise guy. But we know where his wisdom came from. Because you said, ask me for anything, Solomon. And, you, and Solomon said, give me wisdom, God. We ask you for a lot of things. And sadly, rarely do we ask you for wisdom. Today, we ask you to give us a portion of Solomon's wisdom that you gave him. That we would recognize that Jesus, you need to be the Lord of our life, the Lord of our words, the Lord of our plans, and the Lord of our steps. Every day, every moment, you, Jesus, we give you the permission and we give you the position to be the Lord of our life. In Jesus' name.